Hey, welcome back, everybody, to our podcast. We have some exciting news. So we actually changed the name of our podcast. It's no longer called Black Thoughts, but Two Black Thoughts, because there's two of us. We thought that'd be super cool, kind of a funny little quip. Um, but it just kind of made sense. It was really Angelique's idea, and we want to, you know, clap her up for coming up with a great name. But from now on, whenever you look us up or you try to find us, look up Two Black Thoughts instead of just Black Thoughts. That shouldn't be that hard to think about, but... um. Yeah. All right, Angelique. So today is November 8th, 2020. Um, our country has just recently elected a president. However, yes. we're not talking about the president that we elected. We're talking about potentially some of the demonstrations that are going to follow and some of the demonstrations that were we've seen over the previous summer. Yes. So a lot of people are going to be upset no matter which way. Um, we're going to be upset no matter which way this, this election was going to go. And a lot of people have been very upset over the summer and through the fall, particularly because of some of the police violence we've seen in the United States. We've seen massive amounts of demonstrations in probably almost every major city in America. Um, and some of those demonstrations have turned violent, whether that's with individuals looting, um, assaulting officers, setting things on fire, this, that, and the third. And what we've seen is that there's been a major pushback. There's been a lot of people without the media and in their own personal sphere saying that, well, it's okay to protest. It's okay to protest peacefully, but you should never bring about violence, right? You shouldn't wreck people's businesses. You shouldn't bring chaos to your city because that just detracts from the point. I think these people are absolutely stupid. I think they're bogus. And I think they need to shut their mouths in terms of what they're saying about these types of things, because that's typically how protests have gone throughout this country for hundreds of years. However, I think you... You, you differ in opinion from me. So I want to get yeah. your thoughts initially. Yeah. So I think, I think uh, the basis for, for this disagreement in our perspectives actually started from that social justice class that we had together um, because we were oh. discussing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually reminded of this today uh, too. So I was like, this would be good to mention. We, we were discussing this, a very similar topic of, of, violent uh, protest and violent resistance and I was in the minority in the class most people I think were more uh, maybe not as radical as you but definitely more so like violence is okay some of the time at least um, and I was like I I don't see a justification a justification for violence at, at all really ever in any context I don't think violence brings about positive change or um positive results so well two questions well one 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 statement and one question so this has been like angelique's kind of like she's been very much um not for violence through any discussion we've had and yeah. she very much gave some of those clear thoughts on our previous podcast on corporal punishment you should go listen yeah. to that if you haven't already however angelique like, are you a pacifist <laughs> <laughs> so are you so like a pacifist yeah, That's like, really funny that you asked that because I'm not actually a pacifist, but I realized in doing this podcast okay. how much I come off as a pacifist. Um, I was actually a pretty violent child. Like I used to get in fights a lot, mostly because of my uh, my relationship with my brothers. If you don't know anything about that, check out our podcast on Tomboys because I talk a little oh, bit about that there. There we go. Okay. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like I I – I was a pretty violent child because I always defended myself. So if someone was messing with me or someone I cared about, I would respond uh, in a way that was usually violent. Um, if not with like actual fists, I would have very sharp pointed words. And that part of me hasn't necessarily mm. gone away. Um, but 
I, so so I'm not a pacifist. I used to be really violent, but I don't think violence is I don't think my use of violence was necessarily the best thing to do or the right thing to do. Um, and I don't think that it, that's true for most contexts. So what do you think is like the underlying reason or like the compelling experience that pushed you to the say that violence just isn't it and we probably shouldn't use it as a means of as a tool to get what we want? So I don't know if there was necessarily one defining moment that that caused the shift. Over time, I just realized that the result that I wanted or the outcome that I wanted wasn't going to be achieved through violence. Usually I got better results if I was calm and talked through something, um, whether it was like an internal conflict with myself that I was trying to reach a conclusion to or a dispute with my siblings or or even with friends, usually... Um, the more antagonistic and violent you come across to the other party, the less likely you are to achieve any sort of like actual positive gain. So I think I, as I just noticed that with different experiences, um, I was less and less inclined to use violence uh, unless it was like as a means of self-defense. And so, okay, yeah. Okay. So, so let's bring let's kind of bring this back to the protests, right? Um, yeah. The first the first major wave of protests, I think we can say that sparked the summer was the death of George Floyd, um, mm-hmm. a Minneapolis resident who died by the death by by the hands of a police officer or what officer there um, had his knee on his neck for what was it some seven minutes? Uh, it was a long time. It was an extremely long time. And if you watch the video, it was it was really disgusting. Um, yeah. That number the the way he was treating him and just the number of people that had to watch that. Um, however, immediately afterwards, you saw the city erupt, um, erupt into a level of violence they hadn't seen in quite some time. Uh, obviously, there were a number of peaceful demonstrations all over um, all over the place. And I do want to be very clear in stating that a lot of times when you see mass protests, most of it is peaceful. How, like, However, our news coverage is particularly attracted to violence. So the things that you always see are the rioting, the looting, the burning, those types of things. However, Minneapolis erupted into um, a lot of chaos. And we saw a lot of people essentially burning things down, causing civil unrest. However, what immediately happened afterwards was that their city council said, hey, you know, we're going to essentially defund the police. And while they've since reneged on that position and have been spineless cowards over the issue, what I saw from that particular instance is that people stopped taking the crap that our government was essentially pressing upon them, particularly through police violence, and said that enough is enough and gave a meaningful demonstration that wasn't just them walking through the streets and holding signs. Yeah, well, and I, I think that this isn't, I don't think, this is going to sound really kind of bad, but I don't think the yeah, George ahead, Floyd, I don't think the George Floyd protests were anything new. Um, I, I recently was rereading up on um, the Los Angeles riots of, I think it was mm-hmm. 1992. Um, yeah, both 92 in, riots, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Listen, I'm bad with dates, but, you know, it was, it was both because of this podcast and I was reading um, about race relations for between African-Americans and Koreans for one of my classes, my linguistics classes. That was a tongue twister. Um, But I think there was some mirroring there and there's, you know, protests from long before that also show this. But I think the reason why 
the George Floyd protests seem so new and seem so salient isn't because they were suddenly like so much more violent or anything than mm-hmm. what we saw in the past, but just that the media coverage uh, from before was a lot different than it was now in terms of who was saying what and people were paying attention to who was saying what about the protests. And then there was a a more widespread dispersal of information too. Like the fact that we could see the video so soon after it happened. I think usually when we hear about these incidents or hear about things that happen, the details come in spurts and come so far after the fact, but we had the video go up and, you know, less than a week later, you had people posting about, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And it just, it, it created a wave on social media that made it seem so much bigger than past times. And I, I, I agree with your sentiment, right? Like, this isn't a new issue. Police violence has been something that I think Black people have had to deal with since the inception of police forces. However, I also don't understand that. I, I don't understand the statements people make when they say that we understand that police commit violence. We understand that this is a plague upon a certain community. However, we think that you need to hold yourself to a higher standard and not reciprocate that same violence. Right. I, I, I think it's really odd that, that there are certain individuals who, who will simply, I don't want to say clear the government, but let them, let them make mistakes, especially when their policymaking affects real individuals. And then when those individuals are hurt, when those individuals are harmed, when they are extremely upset and react as people who are, you know, who have been violated and who are emotional should react, and that is in a very robust and angry manner, that they somehow shame them and say that this isn't the way you get things done. This isn't the way you negotiate. This isn't how you get what you want, right? When in actuality, I think a lot of, a lot of people have been writing on the issue, right? A lot of people have spoken on the issue and said that, hey, Police kill black people. They do it at a disproportionate rate, and they do it in an egregious manner. You need to do something about this. How much? How how much more peaceful talking, or simply how do I? What's the word I'm looking for? Nonviolent protests. Do we have to go through before we see real change? So, I mean, in a sense, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that the the response to violent protest is right in saying like, oh, you should hold yourself to a higher standard. I don't think it's necessarily about holding ourselves to a higher standard I think it's about mm-hmm. fig- about recognizing what works for us and what doesn't like white mm. people can get away with doing that stuff and it actually kind of reminds me I wish I could remember off the top of my head where this quote, quote came from I think it's Malcolm X but I I, I don't want to be definitive on that but it, it's something along the lines of if you're white you can go forward. And if you're black, you have to fight your way every step of the way and you still don't get forward because we are living in a racist society. And so that kind of idea of like, you're, yeah, if you're white, you can make mistakes, you can be violent and people will come up with excuses. Like, you know, it's one bad apple spoiling the bunch. People will um, justify by saying, well, they thought there was a gun when it's a BB gun, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tamir Rice. Like they will find reasons to excuse and you can continue on going forward with that kind of behavior. For black folks, we don't have that luxury. We don't have that excuse. We don't have that ability. And so I think to respond and it might, it might be a natural and completely like understandable reaction to react violently when violence has been done towards you. Like I said, in self-defense, I myself, like I, if someone 
if someone slapped me, I'm going to slap back because that's my way of protecting myself. But I don't think that then gets us to the place where we are actually trying to be, which is to stop having white folks do violence towards us. I think that's when I look at it, it's not about being a higher person, being a better person and taking the high road and and um, being peaceful in our protesting. I think it's peaceful protesting isn't in and of itself going to work, but violent protesting doesn't get any better results and sometimes has more harm because then we have to counter the narrative that, you know, all black people are violent or we have to counter the narrative that, uh, you know, all we're capable of doing is looting and rioting. Like it shifts the conversation away from the actual change that we're trying to get, you know? And so I think that's where I, I, I say it's not about, it's not about being vi- violent to, you know, get some sort of change if that change isn't going to happen because you're black and protesting. I want to, I want to hang on to, I want to, I want to point out a few of your work, uh, the, specifically your word, your statements in saying that you, you, you said that it kind of takes away from the issue per se. Um, and that people, people are less, more focused on the violence and less focused on the actual issue. Right. Like that was, that does that last little closing statement. Um, yeah, I think that's wrong. Right. I think I think we have to reconceptualize our idea in terms of what it means when you commit an act of violence against other individuals. Right. I think pe- and let me let me let me be very clear. Right. I, I think peaceful protests have their place. I think they're very good. And I think if you could opt for one, you should opt for one. However, violent protests should be a tool in the toolbox and they should be very much open for discussion and open for use on the table. And I say that because when we talk about peaceful protests, they very often spread a lot of information. They spread a lot of awareness. They spread a lot of concern over the issue, right? We talk about these peaceful protests very often. You'll see a lot of people become more educated on the issue and invest more time into looking how to solve the problem. However, when people are burning down buildings, now that issue is an urgency. Now it's not when can I follow the problem? It's I have to find this problem now because this issue is that important to a sect of individuals, right? Like I, I think violent, violent protests essentially move up the timeline, right? Very often, I think we say we're going to take off the boxing gloves and we're going to, I don't want to say let people off the hook, but we're going to pressure them in other ways, pressure them in ways that aren't as, I don't want to say not as meaningful, but aren't as demanding and as making you needing of your attention immediately, Right. Like if I'm burning down your storefront, if I'm, you know, if I'm looting through your city, if I'm saying, hey, I want this and I want this now, that's a lot more pressing than me simply standing the road and maybe blocking traffic for a day or two. I think violent protests, we have to look at them in a way of saying we have to look at them as a way when when people don't want to peacefully engage and engage in good faith negotiations, they have to be you have to be ready to use those and springboard some action and put pressure on government officials to do something now. Um. Yeah, well, I think that's interesting because, um, you know, I think that's a difference of what what of what the focus should be. So I think for you, you're talking about getting attention, forcing people to pay attention to the issue, forcing people to come to the negotiation table. But when I see that kind of situation, I look then at the next step. So, yeah, you've got them to the table and, you know, they've thrown up a Black Lives Matter sign on their doors. They've said that they're going to, you know re re uh look at the police system as a whole or you know maybe make some reform changes or something like that because the response to that all of those responses are just a means to get you to stop being violent like they're not they're not any sort sort of long term we want to make this change because we actually value your black life 
it's we value our property we value our money we value our our peace and our safety and so we're going to appease you as best we can without giving you too much and that's what I think is what I am looking at as the bigger issue and what we need to be addressing. So I think violent protest doesn't get you there, right? Violent protest doesn't get them to see you as human because they're going to use those same excuses time and time again. But yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. You don't, like, so I don't, you, don't care, I, you don't care. You don't care in five years when they're like, okay, they're, they're, they're calm. Now we're going to go back to our same, like subtle no. uh, microaggressions and our covert policies that exclude black folks. Like they're just going to, of like that's not. how the cycle continues. Because it's not I don't, real no, change happening. I don't think, I don't, like, right, I, I, I get what you're saying, right? And we're kind of entering a, a slightly deeper philosophical discussion. Like, but I don't, if you're doing something right, I don't care why you're doing it. I don't care if you want to go back to your suburb and want your peace of mind, right? I don't care if you just want me out of your office. I don't care if you want to protect your business. I think those are things anybody intrinsically values. But what I do care about is competent policy change. What I do care about is making something happen. And very often what you see is that when we have, what's the word, peaceful protests, people will stall on these issues, right? People will say, well, not this election cycle, the next one, right? When we get our guy in, right? Not right now. We don't quite have the money. Just give us a few more months and we'll garner the funds, right? Not right now because this political sphere is just a little too delicate, right? That, that like, There's an infinite number of excuses people use when their life isn't in danger, right? <laughs> like, I, I think that's just, that's, just, that's just what it is, right? When your livelihood is stable and your, your, your peace of mind isn't being disturbed, then the issue isn't as pressing for you. However, if I throw a brick through your window, suddenly you're a little more attentive to the issue because your life is the one. I don't want to say your life is being put in jeopardy, but your peace of mind has been disturbed. I think that's what you have to do. You have to make people radically uncomfortable to make them change that, right? Like to change their mindset. And I understand, I understand your comments in terms of saying like, you want real change, right? People to see black people as human, people to see them as, you know, worthy of protecting, right? There needs to be some sort of fundamental shift in how people view, essentially view us in, in a living space. And I think that's kind of, that's a little too much to ask for upfront, right? I think those types of things are only things you can get long-term in terms of people being in contact with one another, right? People talking about one another, people coming to the negotiation table and not stalling on talking, right? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's ironic <laughs> kind of that that's your response though, because that's exactly what you're saying about um, people stalling for like policy changes. Like my point is that the way to avoid all of the, so what's that old adage, right? Like the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and same over again and expecting a different <laughs> result. So we've, right. seen, we've seen the protests of the 50s and 60s for the civil rights movement. We have, we, just, we already talked about the 1992 LA riots. We have the George Floyd protests. We have Breonna Taylor protests. We have like, the list goes on and on of these types of protests that start off peaceful and then end up violent out of frustration for various reasons, right? We have all these examples and yet we still see the same problem. So I don't see how then you say we need to get them, you know, violent, violent protests gets them to the table to make some change. I don't care about their values, but their values are why we keep having to be violent and get them at the negotiation table through those means because they don't actually see us any differently. So I think the real problem is that we keep saying the ideology is something that happens over time or that can be addressed later. Like, no, that's the problem right now. People's mindsets, their attitudes affect daily decisions. And until that changes, all this other stuff we do is just going to repeat the cycle of us getting 
getting killed and then us protesting uh, protesting us getting killed and then them doing something to appease us for the moment and then something else happening and then we get killed again and then so on and so on okay i think i, I think that's interesting right essentially saying that these violent protests don't necessarily don't don't change people's values right they don't change people's core issues or core ways they think or process the world and so i guess i'm gonna kind of ask you do peaceful protests do that like no. if I like like so right like and, and 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 here's the thing right I don't think either of us have the solution I don't think either either way should be should be the only way to do this. However, I do think that too often people say peaceful protests are the only way to go and this is how we get things done and they aren't examining the full picture nor they nor are they even thinking that maybe this won't work out right. So for instance, uh, what what example do I want to use? Um. <clears throat> And we're about, to, we're about to segue, I think, into another part of the discussion in terms of, like, I think how people view this and how this is kind of, like, letting white people off the hook. Um, but actually, you know what? Let's actually, no. Let's, let's, look, let's look to the, uh, what you call it, uh, Rodney King riots. Um, I was talking to him about that the other day. And people were, I don't want to say peace. People were very peaceful about the issue, right? When that footage came out of Rodney King being beaten on the freeway, by a multitude of officers, right? You saw his face. You saw that carnage. LA didn't riot, right? There were mass. There was mass disturbances for sure, and there were individuals who were protesting. But the protest had erupted into that infamous riot that we saw later on, right? They waited for the court case to come back. People waited for the you know judicial system to you know do its thing. And what happened at the end of that process is what those officers were simply let off, and Rodney King was just beat for no reason. I think that's kind of that that's kind of like I think that's that's a serious indictment to peaceful protest in my opinion right where you saw people sit and wait right talking to the legislators talking about the issue trying to be peaceful about the matter waiting for the law to resolve it and what we saw was that the law can't resolve this type of issue because it doesn't value black people it simply doesn't right and at the end of the day the way you change the law is you set somebody's house on fire you burn down their city and say, listen, if I'm going to be starving and hungry, if I'm not going to have any jobs, if I'm going to be constantly worrying about my peace of mind, you're going to be worried about yours, too. So I think we just fundamentally disagree with how laws get changed. Um, so because I think you literally just proved my point in, in, in what you just said. Like, so I want to say two things. First, go ahead. Go ahead. I think we need to establish what we think the point or the the goal of protesting is, because I think that I Great recognize point. protesting as a means to bring awareness to an issue. And I think that's the best that it can do. And I think that's the extent that it should be used to. So I don't think that protesting peaceful or otherwise gets you change, but I think it gets you the attention you want for the change, right? So that's why I think peaceful protesting does that just fine. Violent protesting does the same thing. It, violent protesting does the same thing, but it also brings about all those same backlash issues that we talked about earlier, right? Stop so, saying the back. Don't hold on. Don't, you're not about to go to like a backlash argument, are you? No, I'm moving on. Okay. That was all I wanted. Okay, to say <laughs> We already discussed that. Hence, why I said what we talked about before. But I think what that. you just said, right? You were like, they wait. You described the process. They protested. They waited for the law to change, but because they don't value black people, the laws did not get any sort of solvency. That's my point. They don't value black people. And so you don't get them to value black people by then reaffirming their pre-existing biases of black people are violent, like, thugs. 
That's not how it works. You get change in the laws when people like AOC get into office, right? When you get people like Stacey Abrams running for office, when you get actual people who hold your shared values or who will promote those shared values into office, you don't get that by telling the same old white people who created the laws, hey, we think you should value us and we're going to do that by burning down your Wendy's because they're just going to be like, wow, those violent black people, let's like pretend to give them this law. But at the same time that we're going to we're going to, you know, give the police five thousand less dollars here. We're going to also increase our federal funding to like vote, suppress voters, right? Like they'll find some other way to navigate that because the core value hasn't shifted. And so I think, I think as much as you can't stand it, I think some part of you knows that it's that, that I'm right because you don't get solvency through actually burning down someone's house that you make the change because they decide to make the change and you don't have that decision until either the value itself changes within the individual or you have people who already have those values replace those people who don't have those values. Those are the two things Yo, I wanted to say. I think it's, I think it's interesting that you, you brought up Stacey. And, and, I, and I, I do want I do want to actually give you credence because what you just said was very well spoken, very well. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, very well articulated, right? In terms of not being able to change those values. However, I think that one, I think you can kind of you can kind of put that issue of changing the values on the back burner for short-term solvency in terms of getting people getting people immediate help with some type with, with some type of policy reform. Two, I think it's really funny that you cite Stacey Abrams, right? Who in when 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 did she do that? Hold on. Let me look because she's burned she burned a Confederate she flag burnt, yeah. at the state capitol. Like yeah. on their steps. I don't I don't know if you want to call that violence, but that's definitely more so that's more towards my end of the spectrum than it is towards your end of the spectrum. And I think that's really interesting that she thought that that was okay to do and it was perfectly okay to do and it was a great thing to do. And that's well, someone I think, that But I think that's <laughs> I think I think that's why I made my first point about establishing what you think protesting for is for. Like right. she burned that flag and that that it was in a newspaper article and like people talk about it. It's like it brought attention to a stance that she had, right? And so I think it fulfilled that. And like I said, I think protesting peacefully or violently, regardless on the spectrum, if that's your understanding of what protesting is supposed to do, then I think she did that. So yeah, like I think that, sure, it was probably more violent, but I don't think that negates what I was saying about the purpose of protesting. Yeah, and, and, and sure, maybe that doesn't negate your entire point, but for I do I do think I do think you are wrong in terms of the sense of saying that protesting should only be used as a tool of awareness, right? That it doesn't give you competence to change ever, or that you shouldn't expect it to do something like that. Because so I think, what do you like, what do you think the purpose of protesting is? Like, what do you think the result or the goal of protesting is? One to establish change and to bring awareness, but to also get effective policy change in terms of putting pressure on legislators, putting pressure on communities, putting pressure on legislators to make meaningful changes. That's what I think it's for. I think it's to make people so radically uncomfortable that they say, all right, we have to change the status quo and make sure it is more fair, more equitable and better for everyone and not just for our pocket of group or group of people. So can you That's what give I think me, can you give me, for. yeah, okay. Like, th- 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 I, can you give me an example of one time where under your definition of protesting that's actually been done? Oh my gosh. And yes, I can. Uh, gosh, what was the dude's name? Um, so right before, or right in the middle of World War II, um, we knew this, mo- most of society was already, was still segregated, um, largely so. Uh, who was president at the time? Was it FDR or Woodrow? I can't even remember. Um, 
some guy essentially threatened the president. It was FDR and said, I'm going to have a million man march on Washington if you don't let black people into defense industry jobs, which were the jobs that were booming at the time. Right. These were the places working in like, you know, war, like war factories, building ships, shipyards, those types of things were barred from black people at the time. However, these were the jobs that were paying the most and that were giving people, you know, an equitable means of living because war was booming. Um and essentially that threat of a large massive demonstration on Washington forced it was FDR was forced FDR to desegregate that industry that part of the American economy and allow black people to come into those types of jobs that's competent policy like policy change right and of course that's you know well over 80 years ago however there are still a lot of people that benefit from black people being led into those key industries um, my father, he used to work in a shipyard. My grandfather, he worked in a shipyard, right? Black people weren't allowed to have those types of things until that type of competent legislation was passed. I am, gosh, I'm, I'm real, I feel really bad like that I blanked the guy's name. Um, hold on, let me look it up real quick. But so, well, that's kind of what, but. So, so just so I'm, I'm making sure I understand you clearly, you're fine with, a pro- and by the way, the Million Man March wasn't violent, but, um, no, it wasn't. S- we're gonna set that aside because it doesn't. Help yeah, that, no, 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 it wasn't. Like it, it was not. <laughs> because I think that that would prove my point for an entirely different reason. But I want to make sure I understand what you are saying. So, if I'm understanding you're correct, you, you correctly, you're saying because of a protesting form, there was a small policy change because black folks were allowed into the industry, and so you aren't you considering. Small- well, no, no, no. I'm saying because. You're focused on just the fact that they were now able to get access to these jobs, right? Like, that's the gain. That's the, the gain that they got from the protesting. But you're not then adding in or considering the difficulty of still getting those jobs or maintaining those jobs. You're not factoring in the wage gap between Black folks and white folks in those jobs. You're not considering the racism and the uh, microaggressions that they would face while working those jobs, right? Like, you're not considering any of those other things as, like, a part of the situation you're saying because of x we got at least we got these jobs like that's why it's good wow shame on you angelique that's a really like that's that's a really small way to like look at that like I'm okay not, and I'm a philip because, randolph because i think that's why i think that's why i'm i look at the situation with all of those factors and so that's why i want to make sure i'm understanding look, you're just looking for the, the the marginal gains right like that's what you're you, pushing for wow to even call those marginal gains is kind of like I, I think that's really underwhelming of what that meant. And so um, for the, the guy, A. Philip Randolph, uh, was the head of the Brother of Sleeping Carporters, right? It was a major political group at the time in 1941. Um, now, mind you, this is still, this is like not immediately after the Depression, but people were still very much hungry, right? Like the Depression was still having an effect on individuals. So yes, you can say that they were going to have to deal with microaggressions. You can say that we're going to have to deal with wage gap things. You can say whatever you, you can say that there were a lot of mitigating factors that were going to come along with these jobs in the forwards. But the bottom line is Black people needed to work. Black people needed to feed themselves. Black people needed these things, right? This, and like, I, it, it's kind of wild to me that you would say that you would even include these other mitigating factors when having a secure job with some type of benefits with in an industry that is very much booming, isn't something important. Right? Well, because, like, I mean, let's <laughs> because I think, I think you think jobs, getting jobs, making money and having money uh, so far as you can put uh, food on the table is like the end all be all. Like you're all about. That is those, not like, the end all be all, but I am about getting people their basic needs met. Yes, for yeah, sure. You're all about that. But I think their basic needs extends far past just having money enough to feed yourself. Like I think about the situations where it's like, 
that's kind of like the justification mm-hmm. for slave owners. They were like, hey, we're giving you this job. You're picking this cotton. So you have enough to like, we're giving you these scraps of food so you can feed your family. Like what's there to complain about? The, the complaint is that I'm having, I'm getting the scraps. All right. I'm getting what I already deserve as a human. And I'm supposed to just be happy with that. Like, no, there so, should be a desire for all of the same things. And that should be what we get from the get. Like, that's why I, that's why I say they're small gains. Like I'm not minimizing just- the fact that it was a really important thing that we actually got access. I'm, I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying to be satisfied with that's what we got is why we're still here in 2020. Bro, that's, oh my gosh. I, so, <laughs> so, so like small gains can be just as monumental, small gains can be just as important as any other gains along the road. Institutions do not change overnight. It's very often done through small reforms and small gains over an extensive period of time. I definitely understand your point in terms of we can't be satisfied with those small games and we should keep pressing people about those things. But the question then becomes, are you more likely to get those small cane, those small gains when I set your house on fire and I throw a brick through your business window, or are you more likely to get those small gains when you walk through the streets with your picketed signs? And again, I, I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk down on peaceful protests. Let me not do that. But are you, which, when, when are, how are you more likely to get those small immediate gains? I gave you very clear, like a very clear, like notice at the top of our discussion is saying that when you have a violent protest, it very much moves up the timeline for when those small gains, when that change has to take place to begin with. Can you like just yeah. contest with that issue? Yeah. So we're getting into like our debate background really bad. So let's bring it, let's but bring it, it down. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I felt it when I was talking and then I felt it when we were just talking. So I feel like we can, we can take a deep breath of who saw. Let's take a break. Yeah. Take a breath. Um, But so a couple of things that I thought about while you were saying that um, when we think about peaceful protesting, we don't think that they bring an immediacy, but I think the immediacy that it brings happens. Mm -hmm. I think that happens more attitudinal. Like, Think about what the sit-ins, the sit-ins of the of the civil rights movement did. Like those were peaceful, right? They sat there, they let people shout at them, they let them throw things at them, curse them out, all those kinds of things, right? Like that was a peaceful protest on the nth degree. And then when you look at back at our history books, when you look back at like how people discuss the civil rights movement, they don't they don't talk about the violent protests being the ones that were the most shit the most uh, widespread in terms of shifting mindsets they they put they, they literally put the pictures of the white man yelling at the black woman sitting at the bar like that's what they depict because that's mm-hmm. a more impactful way to reach people when you realize hey there's these group of people who are just being humans like they're just existing and that's what calls attention to the really like the the problem like people don't see the problem unless you present it as a real problem otherwise all of those other justifications are what they'll use and they'll be okay with that i so um if you don't mind i want to make like this one last quick comment on this segment and then we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and move into the next part of the discussion which is like like we're right we're this is the perfect segue. Okay, yeah. So I, I get it, right? Peaceful, these peaceful protests, these sit-in demonstrations that you've just, you know, alluded to, just depict the people that, hey, listen, bro, I just want to eat. I want to do the same things you want to do. We shouldn't have any beef. However, those people didn't change policy or didn't change their minds about letting black people sit at their counters because they suddenly had this deep philosophical realization that, oh, they're people like me. They did it because their businesses were gonna close and people weren't eating there. 
right? If you look look at look at the um, Montgomery bus boycotts, right? The reason those were so effective was because it put the buses out of business, right? The reason store owners and storefronts stopped like having such racist policies weren't because they they suddenly felt better about black people. It's because they realized they relied on the black dollar to maintain their own lifestyle too. But so, that was and while violence. I, the bus boycott no violent. Like once again, you're it, citing another non-violent it, example no, of protest. It was not. You're right. It was not through violence. But what I'm saying is the reason that people changed their mind was because you were jeopardizing their livelihood, right? You were jeopardizing their status quo, the way they conceive the world. And the way to do that in the fastest way possible is to throw a brick through somebody's window. That's all I'm going to say on that. And with that being said, let's take a quote. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to ask you one question before we, we pause on this. I want to ask you, what's the difference between your response today in terms of mm-hmm. we, you know, we can do the, the changing of the minds later. We can change the values later. We need this protesting now versus our conversation just last week when we were talking about Biden versus Trump, right? Like most people, like at least people who were along my lines were like, we need to get Trump out because of all of this bad, all of the wrong that he's doing. We need the immediate solvency now because the house is literally burning right now. We can get Um, Biden and folks like that afterwards. We can get those other kinds of changes we need. So similar to how you think we can change minds later, I think we can get all those other policy changes after Biden. But we need the immediate change of Trump out. Just like how you say the immediate change of, of, protests how can you like answer how are that's you, different for you are you asking me if i would commit a treasonous act and you know kick donald trump out the white house should i have the opportunity or uh, i'm a little I'm a little <laughs> i'm asking I'm little, you uh, what's the difference because last week you were like no we don't mm-hmm. need we don't need to like we shouldn't be satisfied with biden because he's not the radical sure. change we need right now but my argument was that there's a bigger pressing thing that we need to fix right now how is that any different from what you're saying now with satisfying people's basic needs first and then changing minds? Like, how is that different? Oh, OK, OK. Are you are you, you are you saying that Biden's the incremental change? Let's like, like that's not going to not let me not say not change people's minds, but he's he's not the radical approach. Is right. that what you're saying? Right. Like, I yeah. think I think Bi- Biden. Biden black, yeah. Biden isn't a radical approach. Biden wasn't like wasn't this monumental thing we I think we should be proud of the work we did, especially in the state of Georgia. Shout out to them for turning blue. Um, but that shouldn't be where the work stops for sure. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that was more so just a choice of the two, right? That's more of the lesser of two evils. I think when you talk, when we're talking about demonstrating, I have a multiple multitude of ways of who we, who, how I can demonstrate who I demonstrate to and where I demonstrate at. I think that when I was going to cast my ballot, I was just picking the one person I thought might be better for me immediately. That's it. I do see what you're saying though. Does that did that answer your question? Does that make sense? Or I, I guess I, I I guess you Wait, guess because I don't know if maybe I'm not making the question clear enough, but I feel like I feel like it's mm-hmm. kind of contradictory to be like on the one hand we shouldn't we shouldn't be satisfied with a Biden even though the the other option is worse, and then turn right around when we're talking about protesting and be like we shouldn't want. Like, because I feel like you were pushing for a more radical person see, than Biden. But now when I'm like, yeah, what's sure. more radical than just throwing a brick through someone's window to hope they give you some incremental change towards policy, we should completely mm-hmm. overhaul the ideology that shapes policy. And you're like, no, that's going to take too long. Well, it's going to take I too long either way. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, 
yeah, I don't think it's a contradiction, but I think, again, I think they're two completely different spheres and your options in terms of what you can do are vastly more varied when I can choose the type of protest that I engage with the type of demonstrations I want, right? And, 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 I, and I totally, I do wish there was a more radical candidate on the ticket, right? And I should have probably taken more opportunity to embrace a more radical, like a radical individual to put on the ticket. However, at the end of the day, it was either vote Biden or write someone's name in who definitely wasn't going to win. And but so like, a, I'm, I'm, but you had a problem with Biden. Like you had more of a problem with Biden. Than I didn't I have did. a, I don't think, no, I definitely didn't. I don't, I'm not as, I explicitly said, I'm not as low on Biden as other people, but I did have certain issues with him. And that was more so related to his issuing on policing, which is something I thought was extremely important because I, th- I felt like he was asking for black votes, but he wasn't going to deliver on, you know, some sort of change to policing in America. And so your resistance to Biden is different than your resistance to a radical change in protesting because you feel like they're just different? Yeah, I feel like those are two very different situations. Okay, okay. Are Like, are they... I mean... Let's take a short break. Yeah. Let's take a short break and we'll come back on the... Okay, so we're back, and we're going to talk about uh, two, two last things in this section. The first, we're going to rehash that last topic that we were on before the break. I was asking Caleb a question, and it got kind of muddy, but um, it was essentially comparing our views this week with our views last week and how we've, in essence, we've kind of, like, flipped sides. Because last week, Caleb was arguing more for radical change, and I was, like, more incremental. And this week, we've seemed to kind of flipped in the discussion of talking about protesting, where I'm more, like, radical change, and he's, like, incremental change. Uh, is that is that a pretty fair assessment of, like, how we've handled this conversation? Yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment. I've definitely been more so for the short-term, the short-term benefits of what you can get from a violent protest, potentially. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it's, like... It's an interesting comparative on how you look at what the function of protesting is going back to that question. So for Caleb, he's like uh, incremental change is better here because you can get immediate solvency when you throw a brick through a window. And I'm like, yeah, you throw that brick through the window. But if you really want to see some change in protesting, violent or otherwise, it's got to be through uh, values and ideologies. Is that, yeah? I think that sums it up. And I do want to say, I do think I still have the better way to change values and ideologies. However, <laughs> however, um, we, we've kind of, in our, in our conversation, we, we haven't neglected this, but I think we've, we've kind of skipped over why some of these things even turn violent yeah. to begin with. And very often it's because of long years of systematic racism and violence committed at, by the hands of white people. Um, like so, and Angela, did you want to go into your little not personal anecdote? Anecdote, but but yeah, was there a specific protest you want to start with? Yeah, I just I wanted to make sure we were good on that old uh, that last point before moving on. But um, we talked about the George Floyd pro- protests at the start of the podcast, and we started talking about um, how that exploded out from the s- protests from just that city across the country, and so I was actually in Atlanta. Um, and, and what's crazy about that is right after it exploded across the country, more killings of black folks were happening in different cities across the country. And so I was in Atlanta and the killing that happened in Atlanta was of Rayshard Brooks. Um, 
happened in on June 12th um, and Rayshard Brooks was killed, um, shot by APD, Atlanta police. And that start, sparked protests in Atlanta in addition to the George Floyd protests, but it also led to a burning down of a, of a Wendy's. And I actually lived maybe less than 15 minutes away from, from that Wendy's that burned down. And initially, a lot of the media coverage and a lot of the conversation was, oh my goodness, look at all these Black first folks um, trashing the CNN building, burning down a Wendy's. And then it later came out that it was actually a white woman who set fire to that Wendy's. And so I think that kind of leads us to our, our last point of talking about how, um, you know, this is often the violence that is happening isn't just Black folks. Like, it isn't started by Black folks, and it isn't caused by Black folks. So a lot of the rhetoric was how violent we are, but that burning down of that building actually wasn't even us. And I think that also was true across the country with a lot of targets being looted. Like, people were talking about these protests. Oh, yeah, Target got... (laughs) (laughs) Target got robbed. (laughs) Target, target Target took a hit, but, like, you know, when you see a lot of the footage, you see very few black people actually looting the targets. It's actually a lot of white folks losing their minds and looting these places. But if you looked on Fox, black folks were causing chaos and anarchy all over the country. And I think that's very, I think that's very, it, that, that's attached to a long history of erasing what, what, what violence looks like in America and how, and who it's often perpetuated by. When people, when I, when you hear a lot of these like news hosts or individuals saying that, well, if you want something done, you know, you want some type of change, you need to come to the discussion tables peacefully and calmly. When in actuality, a lot of times these grievances are perpetuated by those same people, right? Those, those who have done those same, like committed those same like violent acts. I think a lot of I think specifically of Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Um, with the bl- Black Wall Street, right? Where there was a there was a robust Black community of Black businesses and entrepreneurs and whatnot who were thriving, and what essentially happened was that white people were upset about the economic power that that region was drawing, and they burned it to the ground, burned it and massacred Black people all over. Um, if you look to the summer of 1919, right? I think it, it's called the Red Summer, something like that, because of the because of the number of race riots that took place and how many black people were killed at the hands of upset white folks, right? There, there's a long history of, of black people simply being told to turn the other cheek when the person who is, the person telling you that is the one who hit you to begin with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't know. I just think that's, that's, that's kind of messed up. It's, it's really messed up. And I don't, I don't think you should ever, you shouldn't say that to a black person. You shouldn't say those types of things to the blacks. To the blacks? to the blacks oh my gosh <laughs> yeah i mean like... <laughs> sorry <that's... laughs> the fact that you said that really <laughs> threw me off <laughs> <laughs> but no i th- I think that just reminds me of uh, and i wish i could i'm so bad at quotes today like for some reason i'm thinking of all these quotes and i did not plan ahead to have these quotes so now i was just this like, is why you take notes angelique i mean Mm-mm-mm. i took notes but that doesn't mean i was like oh i'm gonna use this quote but our conversation just like made me think of another quote from a source that i can't remember at the moment but it was basically like that's fair it was saying um good thing um good thing black people aren't trying to get an eye for an eye because white folks would be blind and um facts so so it's like how was I supposed to know I would need that quote based off of what you said? I didn't, I, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> but, but <laughs> like, I think what you said really kind of highlights the point of that, which is just that, you know, 
it, there's a, a long history. And when people talk about systemic racism, like we don't often talk about what that systemic racism looks like, what that was, what that came from, what that was a result of, but it's these continuous, um, the, the continuous cycle of doing harm onto black folks and then pointing the finger right back at us. Um, and if it were ever to, if the tables were to ever flip, like there would be some, some very odd or confused white people when they're like, what the heck is happening? Because they wouldn't have realized the impact of uh, history. And, and I think I do want to also point out, I was about to say in the U.S., but and we often are U.S. focused in our podcast, but this isn't just a U.S. context. Like colonization was across the globe. And the, the same things that we're talking about in the U.S. context, the same parts of protests that we're talking about in this podcast, like we're talking about these murders and these protests in the U.S., but at the same time, there's global protests happening right now because of SARS, um, because of what's happening and like a bunch of different places. And so I do want to also highlight that aspect of it too. Like these protests are uh, uh, connected across the diaspora. What do you, what do you think about, and this, this actually isn't even related to the, isn't as related to the diaspora, but, but I know it's something that you've probably followed closely or um, you might be more in tune with. What do you think about the protests in Hong Kong? Oh yeah, that's like, <laughs> that's actually a completely separate like that has really nothing to do with the diaspora that's more so it does have to do with colonization though um because right but yeah (laughs) but what do you think about those because what do i think i think i think i pray for the people of hong kong that's all i think of it really because that and that's it's interesting the protests have been a a more popular topic as of late but this has been happening since um the official i think the official re-assimilation happened like the it ended in the early 1990s if i remember correctly i thought it was oh no um 97 1997 was when yeah was when yeah the, the uk ceded hong kong back to china right yeah however there was it was a 50 year like lease period of them because they were essentially a democracy and they were operating under right. british law not chinese law right but yeah, yeah those those negotiations were really interesting um but i think we like, might have to talk about those <laughs> Yeah, but I just think that because this is, it's like been a long time coming, I think the protests that are happening now, it's because people didn't realize what that meant, like what the effect of colonialization really was in that area. And now the people of Hong Kong have essentially created their own culture, their own values. They speak more Cantonese and mainland China speaks more Mandarin. Like it's essentially it functioned better as an autonomous region because they were so distinct from the colonialization. But now that it like they're being essentially forced to assimilate, it's, it's, it's not going to end up as a, as a positive thing in the best. No, not at all. They're definitely headed towards more violence. Do you think, do you think violence is legitimate or violent? These violent protests are legitimate, at least in the stance that this gives people kind of a way to vent on their emotions and a way to express themselves a little bit? I wouldn't say as a means of, ex- of expressing yourself, um, but I would say, like, mm-hmm. I, I would say, um, as I said before, as a means of self-defense. Like, if you react okay. violently out of self-defense, I understand that as a reaction. I, I think it's understandable, and in some contexts, I can see it even being justified, but... Um, I'll just go back to what I said before. I don't think that it leads to any real long-term solvency for you. 
No, and I I want to I want to interrogate this issue, right? Even if that like I don't get any solved, like if I don't if I don't get any policy change, if everything just goes back to you know how it was before, I still think violent protests are a good thing, and here's why: I think very often people people are pent up, people are emotional creatures, and they need ways to vent, right? And and it's it's very it's really telling when you have violent protests of how like what like it's very telling of the type of violent protests you have because if you see other protests pop up around the same issue around or you know any sort of geographical region you know that people are probably feeling the same thing i think about um the day after martin luther king was assassinated the entire country was rioting or you know some having some means of violent protest because black people could all attach themselves to that same experience right they could all say that we identify with this one man and the things that he's done for our people and the loss of him has affected us that greatly i think that very often when we see these types of you know these ma- this mass rioting and these mass looting it's just people crying out in pain right it's just them saying that we kind of need a break and even if things go back to the way they are before, I need some way to emotionally release or I'm going to lose my mind. And I think that I think that in and of itself is a good enough thing, right? People just being able to grieve and like show those emotions in a space that they normally wouldn't be able to is enough for me on my part. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I definitely don't think that I... I Do you really? Do you get it, Angelique? I Let get me it, <laughs> I get it. You don't think I get it, but I get it. I just, you know, the reason why I'm so, like, I'm not really willing to bend on this is I think about a personal experience that that kind of really, it's not a protest, but it highlights your point about emotions. So, like, my mom was Mm -hmm. diagnosed with cancer when I was in sixth grade, and initially no one knew about it. Like, she didn't want anyone to know about it, so I was having to go to school every day. And my father had already passed away from cancer, so I was already living in a single-parent household. But I had to go in every day wondering if I was being an orphan. And these kids were being normal sixth grade kids. You know, middle schoolers are terrible. They're evil little things. Um, they are evil. <laughs> and so one day, this kid who had been picking on me all year long was a white boy. And one day, he said something out of pocket about my mom, which, you know, you don't say nothing about black folks' mamas in generals, but let alone my mom, who's battling cancer right now. And even though he didn't know that, I reacted violently. I actually blacked out. Like, I, to this day, cannot tell you what happened through my own experience. All I know is what the people who are around me told me happened. But essentially, I almost, like, I I was ready to go to blows with the kid. And I, I had to be restrained. And, like, I think about that, like, in your example of you know just needing a release like I was pent up uh I was dealing with all of these emotions I was like having to keep these things quiet and so I needed a release and so I acted out violently towards this kid but at the end of the day that didn't change my situation like I still had to go home and deal with like my mom losing her hair throwing up like I started to deal with all those same things and it might have made me I don't even know if it really actually made me feel any better in the moment um I just knew you weren't gonna talk about my mom but so you know I get I get the need for an emotional release and I get it as a reasoning for violent protesting, but I don't think that it ends up helping you really at the end of the day. And so I'm like, to the point that it doesn't really help me, I don't see a need for it and I don't see a, a really strong use for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I thank you for sharing that, um, by the way. I think that was a very incredible story. I've never heard that from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, I think you're undervaluing, undervaluing what it means to be able to like, do that right what it means like (laughs) there was this um there was this place 
in South in like in South Carolina, somewhere where I still live, that uh you could go and like you could just like beat the crap out of something. Oh you yeah. know, like like you know, like a car. Yeah, yeah you've yeah. seen those little places where you can just go and just do it for fun and yeah. do it for kicks. Um, you know, I didn't want to do it because I thought it was stupid and I might hurt myself. <laughs> but you know, I, I knew somebody who used that as a type of therapy for themselves. Yeah. Right. As a type of as a type of way for them to extinguish feelings they wouldn't be able to normally do. And I think that's what mass violent protests do. It's a collective emotional cleansing for an entire community, right? It's it's so that, you know, even if the rest of the world wants to reject the idea or the reality that we say is happening, that we know it's happening, these awful things that we know are being continued and perpetuated by an awful system, we at least can put our mark on the world and let people know that, no, this did happen, right? And we gave a very legitimate response, and this is how we're going to behave for a short time in order to make us feel better if things are going to go back to the way they were before. Right. I, and I think that, I, th- I think that's important. It's important in terms of allowing black people to have that attitude of saying just one more day, you know, and things will be better. Just, you know, a few just a little a little longer until we'll get our, our due just. And maybe maybe, you know, maybe that is something that can't be achieved through violent protests. But I think at the at the end of the day, you have to prioritize the individual on a certain level and some of those short term benefits to make sure that you can even keep hope alive for those long term systematic changes. And I guess I'll go ahead and give my my last black thought of the day. Um, you know, don't don't look down on people who engage in violent protests. Don't look down on people who may loot during a riot and whatnot. I mean, some people obviously do it for personal gain, but look at it look at it as a collective experience that a lot of people have tried to tell others about, have tried to do something about, and have been denied. I know anyone who's listening to this can think of a time when they were frustrated, angry and wanted to get something off their chest, but didn't know how to, and may have reacted very poorly in a certain situation. Think about violent protests as that. Think about them as an emotional release. And if they don't ever, you know, ever actualize some of the real tangible benefits we may want, at the very least, they allow people some short-term relief from the hell they may be going through. Angelique, what is your last Black thought of the day? Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a statement and then I'll give my last black thought of the day. And it and it's just to say about the emotional release. One last point on it. I think that it's absolutely fine if you have to release yourself in a violent way. If that's what you think works for you, that's fine. But I will say that I don't think that that is a healthy means of outlet. I think there are much more <laughs> healthy ways to release yourself. And I think that not just black people, but humans in general need to detach themselves from this idea that violence is ever a good thing because I think the idea that violence as a release for you is unhealthy in other ways because it can lead to all sorts of other things that we didn't even talk about in this podcast but I would just caution people from their association with emotional releases through violence because you can beat a car and that's fine but if you're not beating a car if you're not throwing a brick through a window and you're putting fists on another body that's harming another human. And I think that we should be very cautious of the way that we look at violence as a release. And so my last black thought of the day is this. Violence and colonialism are inextricably linked. And we have to be very careful when we're protesting to think about what the goal of our protest is and make sure that when we're protesting, we're actually looking towards solvency. Hmm. Very well said, Angelique. Thank you, Caleb.
very well said. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of concludes our episode for today. Remember, we changed our name, guys, from Black Thoughts to Two Black Thoughts. So wherever you get your podcast, look up that name now, from now on instead. And I guess we'll see you sometime soon. See you later, everyone. Thank you.